Chapter 18 of The Pocket Measure by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 18 Serving Christ in the Kitchen. If Mrs. Spafford was shocked by this last sentence, she had resolved not to show it either by voice or manner. It became apparent to her that Mrs. Evans was under too strong excitement to weigh her words carefully or to have a realizing sense of what they conveyed and while this loyal servant of Christ felt with a thrill of pain that it might be, and doubtless was, too true, that this woman was putting the earthly love before the heavenly, still the present did not seem the fitting time to help her realize the sin and folly of this. She spoke in calm, reassuring tones. Christ smiles on all unselfish human love, you know, and on none more surely than that sanctioned by marriage vows, and true women love and honor you for your desire to be all that a wife can, not ignoring, as too many do, the little things of life. Now, dear Mrs. Evans, do you mind putting somewhat into detail the difficulties that just now present themselves? Possibly they are such as my longer experience can help you surmount. I do not, of course, mean a detail that will be unpleasant to you, but— in short, let us lay aside formality entirely. I am a neighbor, and I am a friend. Let me help you. What is the special burden today? You see, I am well aware that each day in a housekeeper's life has its special burden. At the sound of her visitor's quiet voice and matter-of-fact sentence, Mrs. Evans, who was not by nature a lover of scenes, and who had been really struggling to regain composure, felt her overwrought nerves growing calmer, and presently said, a vivid flush overspreading her face, I can hardly see how you can help despising me. I almost despise myself. The simple truth is so very humiliating. I have been acting like a spoiled child instead of a woman. Nothing is very dreadful. Indeed, nothing dreadful in any sense has happened. It is just a culmination of small difficulties." They have been gathering and gathering about me for weeks, and this miserable afternoon I broke down under them. Her lip was quivering, and she was on the very verge of breaking down again. It is the old story of the last straw that disabled the poor camel, said Mrs. Spafford good-humoredly, without a trace of sentiment in her voice, and yet, some way, the voice conveyed sympathy. I know all about that. I have had just such days. Sometimes the last straw is an exceedingly hateful, ill-shaped one. In what form did it appear to you? A little gleam of a smile quivered for a moment on Mrs. Evans's face. It is ill-shaped, certainly, she said quickly, and I think she has been more hateful during the last three or four days than I ever thought a human being could be. Mrs. Spafford, my Betty, went away this morning, just before lunchtime. She has only been with me four weeks, and has been by far the worst one of them all. I have had nine. This morning she served the most insufferable breakfast, burnt toast and dreadful coffee. I don't know what she could have done to it, nor to the chop for that matter. I know we couldn't eat it. Even the potatoes were dreadful. Baked potatoes. I didn't think they could be spoiled, but these were soft and wet, and, oh, miserable! Mr. Evans went to his business without so much as a cup of coffee or a bit of bread, 
and when I went into the kitchen, as soon after as I dared, to remonstrate with Betty a little, and to see if she could not promise to try to do better, before I had spoken a dozen words she became fearfully angry, used dreadful language, declared she was overworked and underpaid. She was what they call a cheap girl, Mrs. Spafford, this last spoken with a burning blush, I thought I would try her and see if a little of our heavy expense could not be cut down in that way. But indeed, I paid her what she said she had been getting, and you know for two of us she hardly could be overworked. Mrs. Spafford hardly knew whether to laugh or cry over the anxious questioning sound in the trembling voice. Its owner had evidently been terribly shaken by the formidable Betty in the morning and could not yet speak of her with composure. "'And what was the conclusion of Betty's wrath?' she asked, resolved not to commit herself by giving an opinion either way at present. "'Oh, she went away. She said she would, declared that nothing could tempt her to be abused in this house any longer, and she would warn every girl against me. She would leave my character at the intelligence office, and I would find myself spotted, whatever that means.' I was perfectly amazed. I had not said anything to call forth such an outburst, and I thought she was excited over something else, and would quiet down if I left her to herself for a while. So I went away, and stayed upstairs all the morning, so that the sight of me would not anger her. But when I discovered that it was long after lunchtime, I came down to see why she had not rung for me, and to make some arrangements for dinner this evening, and she was gone." And, oh, Mrs. Spafford, if you could see the kitchen she left. Whereupon Mrs. Spafford drew a little breath of relief. Then the poor lady had been too much absorbed in her grief to realize that her guest had seen it. The fire was entirely out, and the breakfast dishes not touched, and a great many dishes that must have been used yesterday and left unwashed, standing around. Kettles, you know, and saucepans, and ugly, greasy, black dishes, with things sticking to their sides. Nothing more utterly disgustful than the look on Mrs. Evans's face can be imagined. Her guest's laugh rang out merrily at last. She could not help it. But her friend's trials were too real to admit of laughter. "'It is dreadful,' she said with a meek face, "'to be foolish and so dependent upon others,' but I have really been in utter despair this afternoon. Not for that reason simply, she hastened to explain, while the shadow instantly deepened on her face, but as you say, it was a sort of last straw, not so much of a straw to me either, for I never made a coal fire in my life, and though I tried hard to set that one going, the ugly black lumps looked fiercely at me, and stayed as black as before, after all the waste paper in the house had been used, and a great many matches. Mr. Evans certainly ought to expect his dinner when he gets home, since he went without his breakfast. But what can he possibly find to eat in this house I cannot see, and the rain was so steady it prevented my going out to find another girl. Indeed, to tell you the truth, I had a horror of trying to get another. It seemed to me I would rather starve, and so the whole miserable sense of my failure in every way, as a mistress, or as a worker, rushed over me, and in addition to all the rest, just overwhelmed me. Dear Mrs. Spafford, I don't know why I am telling you all this foolish, unwomanly story, 
wasting your time and pouring into your ear a tale that can certainly be nothing but weariness to you. It is not like me thus to parade my annoyances. It is not, indeed. I ought to beg your pardon. She had sat erect during this last sentence, dried away the last tear from her hot cheek, and was struggling hard to put on the sweet dignity of hostess, which was generally so becoming to her. Meantime, her guest thought rapidly, taking a surreptitious glance at her watch. Should she insist upon taking this troubled wife to tea with her, sending little Tim, who did her errands, down to watch for the car that generally brought the two husbands, and so have one of those quiet tea-parties that she was always telling Warren about? Her bread was fresh and excellent. She had made a treat for supper, in the shape of a soft ginger cake, and the potatoes which she meant to warm, by the addition of a few bread-crumbs and an egg, could be made into patties and do duty for four. Oh, yes, the way was plain enough, to carry out this project, but was it the best way? Swift thinking, even while Mrs. Evans was trying to call back her matronly dignity, then she shook her head. No, it wouldn't do. The sore-hearted young life was not in a tea-party mood, and it was just possible that there had been words passed between husband and wife during the attempt at eating that uncomfortable breakfast, which had made wounds. If this were so, they could be better healed between husband and wife alone. She must give up her little tea. Then the other plan should be made to work. She slipped her watch back into its pocket and spoke briskly. "'You are telling me all this because you are a sensible woman, and paid me the compliment of believing my offer of sympathy sincere. And you know that, to a Christian woman, there is no higher privilege than to be able to help a sister in Christ. Now, dear friend, listen to me. I don't wonder a kitchen left in the plight which you describe should look formidable to you, but it doesn't to me. I have conquered one many a time, coal fire and all.' Moreover, I can show you how to do it so that it will cease to be a hopeless thing to you. Now I want you to further prove your faith in my hearty friendship by letting me go with you right into that said kitchen and reduce it to a state of meek and dainty subordination. Then you will get your husband as nice a little supper as he ever ate in his life. Get it with your own two hands, and my word for it, he will have an unusual appetite." With eyes that were full of astonishment did Mrs. Evans for a moment gaze on her guest. That this proposal brought her into contact with a form of friendship to which she had heretofore been a stranger was evident. That she was puzzled to know how to receive it was equally evident. Only a moment the look of bewildered irresolution rested on her face, and then she said suddenly, "'I believe you do mean every word you say. Thank you.' I need help. I believe I need just the kind that you are willing to give. I will accept it gratefully. There was a happy light in Mrs. Spafford's eyes. This simple, sincere answer had shown her that she was not mistaken in her estimate of this fair young housekeeper. She was a woman to be helped, not only, but to be loved. Feeling still assured in her heart that this was no time for more important matters, Without more ado, Mrs. Spafford urged an immediate assault on the kitchen, and thither the two women went, Mrs. Evans only pausing to say in a distressed tone, "'If I only had a large apron that would protect your dress!' "'Never mind,' 
her guest answered cheerily. My dress is only calico and washes nicely. Then she set to work on that forlorn stove. You see, she said, resolving upon working and lecturing at the same time, coal is splendid for burning after it has been coaxed long enough. It is very hard-hearted, needs a pretty large gathering of kindlings blazing all around it to set it a good example. I suppose this is the place where they are kept, is it not? Your house is arranged like mine. Saying which, she opened a door, disappeared for a moment, and returned with her arms full of neat billets of wood of uniform length. These she built up with skillful interlacing, inside the wide-mouthed monster, Mrs. Evans looking on with interested yet incredulous face. She had had an experience with these heartless black lumps that the skillful engineer was piling in with such composed face. She did not believe they would burn. But they did. They are conquered, the younger lady said with a relieved sigh, as the flames shot up through the interlacings and curled themselves skillfully around the black lumps, which soon began to emit a flame peculiar to themselves. They recognize a superior power, and do not dare to act as they did with me so short a time ago. Now, if you are a skillful general of a disordered kitchen, possessing the ability to marshal pans, kettles, and pails into orderly ranks, and make them retire to their places, you know how steadily the small kitchen yielded to the spell that was now upon it. If, on the other hand, you have the misfortune to be one of those who, though able to play sixteen pages of Chopin, or some other distinguished composer, without a mistake, yet look with absolute dismay, yes, even terror, on the interminable paraphernalia of a well-stocked kitchen, you can appreciate the feelings with which Mrs. Evans watched the rapid transformation of hers. They were such tiny places, after all, kitchen and pantry, and the water was so hot and soap so plentifully used that, to a skillful workman, it could not, you know, take much time, but it looked like magic to Mrs. Evans. "'I wish I could do it,' she said eagerly, as she lifted the shining plates from their bath in the hot rinsing water and set them to drain, after the copy which had been set her. "'How smooth they feel and how shining they are! Betty would not recognize one of them!' Mrs. Spafford, I tell you truly, if I only need not have another of those girls enter my house, I should be happy enough to shout. I cannot tell you what a terror they all are to me. They do nothing right, and I know just enough to be sure of that, but I don't know how to help it, and I am afraid of them all. Why don't you do without them? said Mrs. Spafford coolly. Little bits of homes like yours and mine are too small and precious for hired hands to touch, if we have strength enough to guard them from it. I just enjoy getting dinner for Warren, and we have the coziest little breakfasts. Mrs. Evans's eyes brightened wistfully. If I were only you, she said, and she thought of the three dollars that had to be transferred each week from her purse to that of her tormentor if it could be saved. If I were only you, but I don't know anything about it. Learn, said Mrs. Spafford, coolly, as though it were a very simple matter. You would be surprised to see how soon you could manage this nice little home to your entire satisfaction. Mrs. Evans, 
What are we going to get for a treat for your husband this evening? The bright look faded from the weary housekeeper's eyes. There is very little in the house, she said, her cheeks flushing. It rained so, I depended on Betty. I meant to have a leg of lamb and some vegetables. Too late for those, declared the cook. Besides, we want to be dainty, you know, not go into anything so gross as legs of lamb. This with a merry laugh. I see a dish of potatoes in the pantry. Do you ever stew them in milk? We used to have cream when I was a girl and lived where milk was a necessity, not a luxury, but now I use milk and find it answers nicely. I can show you how to serve a dish that I fancy you will enjoy. Mrs. Evans gratefully agreed to be shown, notwithstanding the fact that in her ignorant heart she was skeptical about making that ugly-looking dish of cold potatoes fit to eat. Still, her forehead did not clear. "'I wish Betty had controlled her temper long enough to have baked bread,' she said sadly. "'We have nothing but baker's bread, and my husband dislikes it so much.' "'Then let us have some dear little soda biscuits, as light as puffballs. I saw a cup of sour milk on the shelf, and felt just like taking it down and making something nice.' "'Sour milk?' said poor Mrs. Evans, aghast at the idea. "'Yes, indeed. You have eaten the little white puffs often, I presume. They are easy to make. It is the very thing. I will set you to making them while I get the potatoes ready to cook. Then while they are baking, you can cook the potatoes.' "'There is some steak,' said Mrs. Evans, hesitatingly. "'Mr. Evans doesn't dine downtown. He only takes a plain lunch, so I like to have meat for him, but I don't know that I can manage steak. Very meekly she spoke. She knew no more about broiling steak than she did about those biscuits which Mrs. Spafford so composedly talked of her making. Oh, yes you can, declared the brisk voice. That is easy. Now about the biscuit. There is a quart measure. First you sift a quart of flour, now just so much butter. Wait, this little plate will measure it nicely, and serve you for the future. Thus she moved with careful steps, putting her directions as clearly and as briefly as possible, until Mrs. Evans, her face flushed, her eyes shining, stooped and set in the oven a row of small, round balls that she verily believed would never be anything but burnt dough. How could anything so simple and so quickly done ever transform itself into something fit to eat? but when the stewed potatoes were tested with a delicious mouthful, according to Mrs. Spafford's direction, when the bit of juicy steak lay meekly between the wire gridiron, and was being skillfully turned, and emitted a delicious odor through the kitchen, and when the lumps of dough came out of the oven the plumpest, flakiest little puffs that her eyes had ever beheld, when the tea was steeping, and her husband's key was heard in the front door, and Mrs. Evans was alone, her good angel having but a few minutes before washed her hands, rolled down her sleeves, and vanished through the back door, having given this parting word, "'Now, Mrs. Evans, I want you to tell me whether your husband likes stewed potatoes or not, especially of your stewing, and soda biscuit of your making.' Mrs. Evans, thinking of her, of the words that she had spoken that day, of the work her hands had wrought, and of the courage and hope which she had breathed into her, 
had much ado to keep the tears from starting again. They would doubtless have had their way, but for the fact that her delicately broiled bit of steak was ready to be served. The tears were stayed, but her heart was full of grateful love, as she said to herself, with a resolute little pressure of her lips, as though she were speaking the words in her heart, "'She is a blessed woman. I believe God sent her to me in my misery. She doesn't know all she has done for me today. There is something else that she can teach me. I shall know the difference between her religion and mine. She has something that I have not, and if it is for me, I mean to have it.' "'You will have to dine off bread and milk tonight,' declared Mrs. Spafford, with smiling eyes, to her astonished husband, who was reviving their neglected fire when she appeared through the rain at the side door. "'I have been out all the afternoon. I found an open door which I have entered, I verily believe, for the master's sake.' "'God bless you,' he said, looking down on her tenderly, when she had told so much of her story as she felt she had a right to tell. If you can make a home over there, like this of ours, I believe you will save two souls instead of one from shipwreck. End of chapter 18